back to the Magic of the Spheres podcast. This is Sabrina Monarch, and this is a show about spiritual lifestyle and personal evolution. If you're new here, I'm an evolutionary astrologer who writes weekly forecasts at monarchastrology.com, and I started this podcast to have more eclectic conversations about spirituality and personal development. And on today's episode, we have Chiron Armand, who is a spirit-initiated shaman holding initiations in several traditions. Chiron is the author of Deliverance, Hoodoo Spells of Uncrossing, Healing, and Protection, and Clearing Spaces, Inspirational Techniques to Heal Your Home. Among the modalities that Chiron works with, Chiron does root doctoring, which as a Pluto-loving astrologer, I really appreciate this practice of discovering the root of issues and helping clients resolve issues at those deeper layers. We spoke about soul retrieval, self-trust, and how our guides and intuition can speak to us in imagery, and how it is our responsibility essentially to slow down, listen, and have a dialogue with those images that come to us. And not so coincidentally, it is still Mercury retrograde at the time of publishing this episode, and this is really one of the potential medicines of the transit, slowing down to think over and to consider the information that might otherwise slip past our attention. And so when it comes to images or dreams, for example, that come to us, they are what they are if we just look at them at face value. But if we think about them and question them and kind of have this dialogue with them, the image starts to really unfold and take up life and take up vibrancy in our consciousness. And it may have a message to share with us that comes through if we sit with the image. And then what is soul retrieval? Basically, it's coming back into contact with parts of our soul which have fractured off due to some kind of trauma, whether that trauma was in this life or prior lives. And soul retrieval helps us be more present and embodied in the present moment because it's literally having more parts of ourselves back online. Perhaps soul retrieval is a phenomenon you've already been familiar with or have experiences of in a way that you've even named it as such. Um, But if it's new to you or you haven't thought of it in this language before, I invite you to let this episode be inspiration for starting to notice when certain experiences or insights that you come across trigger a sense of self-return, like more of you feels alive and here. And I'll turn us over to the conversation with Chiron now, and I really hope you enjoy it. Hi, Chiron. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. And will you tell us a little bit about yourself and your practice and what impact shamanism is and what modalities do you work with? Sure. So I am a spirit-initiated shaman and diviner. I draw from a few different modalities and traditions in my work. Um, I actually, about 10 years ago, my practice was under a different name, uh, which was Conjure in the City. And uh, at that time, my practice was very folk magic based. Uh, I had been sort of trained by uh, mentors in the hoodoo work tradition um, from the American South uh, to 
sort of address all kinds of uh, spiritual and energetic conditions that people might face through a uh, primarily plant, but also uh, mineral and zoological folk magic-based practice, uh, which was really f- um, adventurous and so much discovery. There's so much um adventurous magic around the world that's really, really accessible um, and is, I think, like a really incredible bridge for so many people today to explore their own cultures and the ways in which um, their ancestors um, worked with what was available to change their lives, to ensure protection in their lives, to keep the law at bay, to remove jinxes and hexes and curses and and witchcraft, to help them get a job. So many mundane and spiritual conditions. Uh, And along the way, um, a couple of other traditions showed up in my life as particularly important to to my path, Uh, one of them being Kimbanda from Brazil, and the other one being Haitian Vodou, and then uh, eventually I, I sort of had a sort of non-contextual initiation in which um, a couple of spirits pretty seriously harassed me in a very intense and uh, traumatic way that um, kind of fell under the umbrella of what we might call a sort of shaman sickness. And this was about, it was about six years ago. And, um, I, and at that point... Um, actually it was about three years ago that I realized that I no longer wanted to just focus on what I could do for people according to, you know, sort of a wish fulfillment, uh, idea, but I was actually getting more and more interested in people's personal paths. Uh, I, I realized that the, the sessions that I did that were the most fulfilling to me were when a client was saying, you know, like what's standing in the way of me getting a job or, or what's standing in the way of me getting a lover, or I think that you know someone put a curse on my lover and took him away. Um, you know, those are absolutely issues I can solve, and and I and I really enjoy solving them, uh, kind of like a scientist. But I realized that I was most excited when somehow the session veered toward a conversation around the client's gifts in this lifetime and who they really came here to be and what they needed to support them in being the most of them. And I was able to see that uh, these traditions that I was working in absolutely could provide helpful tools um, toward living that sort of bigger, fuller life. Um, so yeah, my, my, my practice is impactshamanism.com. Uh, I am really excited about working with creatives and visionaries and leaders. Um, and that can be anyone. I think that just the idea of considering that perhaps you might have some influence in the world. P.S. You do. (laughs) Um, Open so many possibilities, and I want to work in that realm of possibility. And I have a a special place in my heart for what I feel is a fact that we here in the Western world do not have what we need to do what we've come here to do. I think we're, we're doing our best against a really insidious and exploitative system that seeps into our families, into our relationships, into the way we treat ourselves. So um, I think that I sort of see my work as very rebellious um, in the face of something that's trying to eat us. How do we reclaim our personal passions, reclaim our ancestral traditions, reclaim the, the boundaries and contexts 
that are needed that support a really full soul expression. Wow, that was beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Oh. You know, that makes me think, I mean, what you're saying about how we have something special that we're here to do, we have an impact to make, but that the systems that we're enmeshed in don't necessarily align with that. Um, And even, you know, from the perspective of these other realities that you and I are in contact with, um, just in terms of being in contact with unseen realms, like... And then being in a system that doesn't even believe that that's real. And I remember from reading your book, um, Clearing Spaces, that you were talking about these like horribly designed apartments in New York City, where the building structures weren't taking into account the energetics of space. Um, And so we have these structures that kind of separate us from nature. So I'm curious um, how you see that we can kind of free ourselves from that um, or what ways we can connect to our um, our true selves and how, you know, what tends to block people in general from their power and your experience? Sure. So, um, well, God, there's so many answers to these questions that I like ring around in my head. What the first thing that comes to mind is I think there's a lot of simplicity. That's, that's awesome. I myself being a really urban kid, um, one of the most like thing, important things for my own path right now is nature. I need to just like be in nature. Um, just decolonization through earthing by putting my feet on the land and spending more time in that direct relationship. Um, that's that's one thing that comes to mind in my own process. Another really helpful thing uh, is soul part retrieval. And soul part retrieval is actually probably one of the most popular things that we have here in the sort of contemporary Western shamanic culture. It's not one tradition. It's the contemporary Western shamanic culture given to us by Michael Harner, who did his part to, uh, you know, through the creation of the Foundation for Shamanic Studies, frankly did kind of something a little weird um i mean it, it's for a for an insane culture that tries to destroy context by any and all means to take something um such as shamanism and shamanic practices and try to deliver that to deliver that to us sans contact is is actually really uh colluding <laughs> with our culture's insanity so i i had a lot of issues with harner but one thing that he did bring to us in the West was this concept of soul part retrieval, um, which you find all around the world uh, in different traditions, the idea that you might go through trauma or shock, especially, but not only, as a child, and pieces of you might literally break off and stay there. So there's some part of you still mouth agape, eight years old, where you saw mom, you know, say, you know, do the thing to dad and, and you you were like, wow, I can't, I can't go on. Uh, and the issue isn't just that a part of you broke off and, and, and stopped there, but that that part of you also holds some gifts that you no longer really have a strong connection to. It might hold some helping spirit connections that are important. It has so much of you that you need to have back. And I'm not going to say, uh, as is very popular, that soul part retrieval is the answer to all anxiety and the answer to all depression and put those pills away. That's, that's, that's really not the case. Um, but I will say that 
my own experiences of soul partner retrieval have contrib- contributed greatly to my having increased self-understanding in this world, uh, to having lessened anxiety and depression. And that's just for me. Um, and I can say that also for people that I've worked with, there have been some similar experiences. I don't think that soul partner retrieval is a cure-all, but soul part retrieval probably shows up in about 80% of my sessions. Um, and I always encourage my clients really to work strongly to integrate them um, when we return them. Other aspects of, of being more authentically here, uh, we have to engage. I mean, there's so much that you know, I can go on and on about different modalities and traditions I work in. But the truth is that we have to like retrieve our stuff, whether it's soul part stuff, uh, ancestral medicines or gifts, shadow stuff. And then we have to start living it. So if you get off a call with me and, you know, we have these Slavic deities that just came through and we're like, why aren't you writing? You have this incredible gift associated with humor and wit going back 900 years when this first person, you know, then I'm hoping that you sure get off the call and start integrating that soul part even more. So I'm hoping that you start writing immediately. We need to be contributing. This is about our contribution here. And this is about what we leave for the descendants. And um, the spirit world and our engagement with it is not so that we can get lost in it. It's about having a clearer, more fulfilling and more direct contribution here. Amazing. So what about ancestors? Like, what's the importance of connecting with them? So we embody them. We are them. Um, and that's like in a big, broad way. And um, in the Kimbanda tradition, one of the words that we use that to sort of speak to the sea of ancestors is Kalunga. Uh, we kind of live in Kalunga. Like if you take a deep breath, all of time, all of memory, this is Kalunga. This is um, the past as present, the past in this very, very moment. So we are the sum total of our ancestors of these hundreds of thousands of years existing here. However, this is something I try to be really uh, discerning about. Sometimes I come across, uh, sometimes when a client comes to me and there's an ancestral issue and I start tracking uh, the session to the first ancestor that caused the issue, quite often that ancestor is someone who my client was in a past life. And it's very interesting because it's like, okay, wow, you made this mistake or, or, or created this issue in your ancestral line thousands of years ago. And you are stepping forward because, uh, you know, to, to work on this without even knowing it, um, to fix something that you created a very, very long time ago. And even myself, I have been my, I very recently, I was one of my, um, own ancestors who uh, caused some issues in the family. And, and, and I, I understand better my own relationships to certain family members by understanding the relationship that they had to him. Uh, and I can understand now why certain things that he tried to do, he really wasn't equipped to do. And I was like, you know what, let me, let me try this again one more time. And I'm not going to wait thousands of years, though. I'm going to just like do it really <laughs> fast. I'm just going to show up in about 10 years. Um, and that was actually me working in a different tradition that's actually not one of my own. Um, it was actually, I got a Dilogun reading in Santeria. Uh, Dilogun reading is um, when cowrie shells are thrown that are the mouth of the Orisha Legua. And I try to get a Dilogun reading once a year because it's a 
traditional divination system. And I think that all of us who are folk diviners in the Western context, I think we're doing amazingly. I think we're navigating something seemingly impossible. I think we benefit heavily, though, from traditional divination, uh, whether or not we enter those traditions. Uh, so here I am in front of Apadrino in the Santeria session. And he says, you know, we don't even have reincarnation in our tradition, but you have a spirit guide who's one of your ancestors and you're so close. I'm pretty sure you were, you're the reincarnation of him. And that just blew my mind and just blew open a whole new, um, path of discovery for me, which included the need to do a lot of healing around certain things. I actually had to cross him over, uh, to free up energy in my life. Uh, but after that, ever since that, it's been pretty fire. Wow. I really, you know, connect with what you're talking about with soul retrieval. I've thought about it from the astrology context before. Um, so it's really cool to hear your story about it. I'm curious if you want to share um, any stories of your experiences with soul retrieval, whether that's been um, in yourself or with clients that you've worked with. Absolutely. One of the um, most interesting uh soul parts that was retrieved for me or that you know once once you get the ball rolling and i what i mean the ball rolling is i can retrieve soul parts for someone you know till i'm blue in the face what my hope is is that whether it's through engagement with my work or engagement with you know other practitioners work that i'm what i'm hoping is that the people i work with begin to cultivate a deep intimacy with their helping spirits so that if you know they're in a light trance and you know their helping spirit owl flies by and drops a drops a kid in their lap they're able to you know through discernment and being able to um having engaged enough with the spirit world look at that kid in their arm and be like oh shit this is me from five years old and this owl just retrieved a part of me and let me call on one of my helping spirits and ask them if they can hold some space for this let me do some cleansing on this soul part that was just given to me. Let me, you know, know the right questions to ask this piece of me so I can start engaging them. So I say all of that to preface that, you know, um, one can, through deep, intimate work with one's helping spirits, eventually reach a place where you can start retrieving your own soul parts. And you can start retrieving some of your own shadow parts. Um, a little bit more dangerous, but it is possible. Uh, so here I am, many years into having worked with dozens of my own uh, soul parts that had been lost over the years. And one of my helping spirits uh, helps me realize that as a child, my, my, my family was very evangelical Christian. And I had been, uh, I had just discovered illusion magic. And um, I had just got a kit from for Christmas, and I had just gotten a book from the library on it. And I was playing around with cups and ropes and, and small balls and things. And in what I think was a moment of like real insanity and just sort of addiction to limiting me, that was, I think an addiction that my parents had. Like, if he's expressing joy, kill him. <laughs> um, and um, my mother was just like, yeah, you can't do that anymore because God doesn't like lying. And that illusion magic is lying. And my heart sank. And just that desire to snuff out my flame being so um, 
her addiction to that uh, caused soul loss. And of course, you know, here I am in my early 30s. I'm not thinking about that. I'm not walking around moping about that. But, uh, but as 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 it is with all of shamanic practice, in my experience, there are always receipts. They might not be conscious receipts. They might not be things I'm thinking about, dreaming about, remembering, moping about, but there are receipts and everything is everything. So here's my spirit saying, hey kid, you lost something and it's time for you to bring it back. And I had to bring back the soul part that that broke off uh, when this thing happened that was really just devastating to my joy and i had to work with him over a uh, a period of months some people never fully integrate their soul parts if you work with me i'm very adamant about full integration of your soul part the idea that you're going to work with this part of you until you can't see it or interact with it anymore because now it's you and um i'm a very get shit done kind of shaman so here i am uh trying to accomplish this within about two or three months, this process. And I am, what am I doing? Well, I think one of the actions he had me take was like, I had to like tell some friends some silly jokes. I had to go and get like a age eight to 12 magic kit from the toy store and, and learn to do a card trick and show a friend. Uh, And it was, what it was, was, this 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 part of me carried a lot of my performative power, a lot of my glamour energy, and it, you know it was it was separate from me. And uh, shortly after fully integrating it and taking all of the actions I needed to take, uh, I experienced a boost in my protection. That's the other thing about soul parts. When we when we lose them, these are holes in our aura. Um, this is our boundaries, not necessarily being strong. This is places in our lives where we are now colluding with our own abuse. And through the return of these parts of ourselves, we are saying, I will no longer collude. I'm no longer going to collude with mom. I'm no longer going to step up my own flame. That's not my bag. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. When I was, um, like in 2012, I had a really significant awakening experience and I feel like circumstances kind of conspired that a lot of my soul parts were revealed back to me all at once. And it was really intense. It felt like becoming, um, like going online after certain parts of me had just been logged off. Um, and it was a lot to integrate, you know, in that, and do you have see that experience where do soul parts spontaneously come back to people and like you have to integrate it or do you have to kind of go out and get your soul parts? So that's a great question. Soul parts can absolutely spontaneously come back. And I love that when that happens. I remember a few years ago, because it speaks to the fact that life is trying to work with us. And if we give ourselves or are given the contexts or experiences that are conducive to our stuff returning, then a lot of things would just line right up. Things that our daily lives in our culture, especially our very anti-yin culture, we don't like to slow down, we don't like to pause, we definitely don't like death. And it sounds like sort of the awakening that you went through was sort of in an initiatory crisis that was, you know, akin to a death while alive, similar to my shaman sickness. Uh, we live in a culture that is entirely about buffering us 
against all of those kinds of experiences that would be conducive to that. And of course, we're not supposed to be human here. We're not supposed to be big and alive and online. You're supposed to be at your job. <laughs> You're supposed to be a tool for capitalism. You're not supposed to be on, what do you mean you have a soul? Um, I remember um, a few years ago, I was performing a foot washing for a client. And while I was performing it, I think five different soul parts came back just in that process of deep yin cleansing of the legs and feet with herbal waters, uh, removing just, uh, just that space being held with some attention being paid to this sort of like root area of her energetic body was enough for me to just say like, whoop, they're like, these soul parts are literally flying in. And the person that she was a year later, after really working to integrate them, I do think that integration does matter in our culture, because again, we're working against the grind, uh, was a completely different person, like truly. That's so cool. And so I'm also wondering, so you wrote in your book that it's the community's job to be in balance with nature. And if we're not, or the community has fallen out of balance, that there's a shaman or someone who has been um, called by spirit or called by family lineage to keep the balance. Um, And that when I read that, it sparked me because it made me wonder, you know, our world situation is so troubling with like our relationship with the earth and with the natural world and climate and all of that. What is the role that individuals have, you know, how powerful can individuals be in helping to heal the planet? I think so powerful. I mean, yeah, there's us as individuals and then there's us as a unit and we never really know what our influence is going to be. I mean, there are these ripples, you know, you know, we might walk away from a situation like, oh, I couldn't help there. But like, no, that's not true. You said hi to a person who was really sad, gave them a bit more hope to continue living. And then they continued living and then got married and then had a kid. And then, you know, not that you have to be married to have a kid, but, you know, and then that kid ended up being nourished and was able to live. There's, 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 so, this is a web. This is a web. So this is about us making the conscious choice to be as online as possible uh, and to live from that place. Um, So when it comes to these really terrifying issues in our world, um, even slight shifts in consciousness matter so much, because especially because our world has become so disenchanted. We just want to control everything. We just want to control the climate. We want to, you know, control the climate, control each other, um, control the, control Latin America, control the immigrants who are coming here because we've been just controlling and destroying Latin America. Control, 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 and, and little to no regard. Uh, that's a word that's been like on my mind a lot lately. Like, the hellos, the thank yous, the goodbyes, all of the the manners that we engage with between each other, you know, between us, but also that are so potent to engage with when it comes to the spirit world, when it comes to natural features. Please, thank you. I'm sorry. Um, but again, even even by saying that, I feel that yin energy. All of those require slowing down, <laughs> recognizing that you did something wrong recognizing gratitude and this is a young obsessed culture that kind of just wants to bulldoze 
through everything. Any slowing down matters. Yeah. And that's the time where the downloads come in and the soul parts come back and all of that. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to ask you, and I think that I have like a little bit of a clue into it, but how did your reality start to shift more towards the shamanic perspective? So you grew up in like a, a Christian environment, but did you like, how did you start to experience that you were connected to other realms um, and had this gift? Like, did it come all at once You or before the shamanic sickness? Like, what was this process for you? Sure. So um, it was definitely before the shamanic process. When people ask me about my experiences with magic, um, I always say that they started with me dropping out of high school, moving to the East Village in Manhattan, living with a woman who taught me some spells and the spells, you know, to get like a new job and stuff and the spells worked. And then I picked up some Starhawk books and it was a wrap from there. I was just addicted um, to this idea that the world was alive and that the world being alive was very political. It was a very political issue. (laughs) Um, And, um, and it was actually only a couple of weeks ago that I realized that my magical consciousness actually began earlier than that. I had completely forgotten this. This is probably because of, you know, something I had just integrated that this memory came in. And it was that I was when I was in middle school, I remember I would be getting ready for school and there would be some object in the space. Like, you know, when you watch cartoons and you, and something stands out, yeah. Like from the background, so you know it's going to move. Like the character enters the scene, and you're like, that bunny's going to hop because everything else is slightly blurry. That's how the room would become. And it would be like my mom's hair clips, or it'd be some pocket change, something small. And it would just feel this heart impulse like, I need that. And I'd be like, why do I? Or a pencil. I'd be like, I need that pencil. I'd be like, no, I have some pencils in my book bag. I don't need that. And I would arrive at the bus stop and one of my classmates would be like, Kai, do you have any like hair clips? And I would just be shocked. Like, so I started like thinking about having this conversation about what did I pick up on? How did some part of me know 30 minutes ago that this person would need this? And I started trying to train myself and it's still something that I like I'm aware of. I started to try to train myself to not bypass those moments or not deny myself because um if it was a pencil that was still you know standing out to me, lo and behold, when I get to first period and I reach into my bag, that pencil I thought was there wouldn't be. And I should have grabbed that pencil. So it was this conversation of why am I denying this voice inside myself that's trying to make these connections. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I feel like that's, you know, when it comes to the intuition, people have to train themselves to listen to it. And that experience that you were having of objects catching your attention. I love the metaphor of like the cartoon. That's so cool. I haven't thought of it that way before, but I actually, I relate to having those kind of hunches and then realizing that they're always right. Um, and it does come down to self-trust, right? Like to believe these things, um, in ourselves and to like go with our intuition. Would you say it has to do with trust? 
it has everything to do with self-trust and to the extent that here I am 10 years into professional practice and I'm literally just like everything in my life that's an issue. I mean, sure, there's, you know, bubbles and buttons and zippers and things to integrate and things to move around. But like the my core wounds are about in this lifetime are, are about self trust and and are about a um, a very um, a very strong campaign launched by the people who raised me and launched by our culture to ensure that I would never do anything as dangerous to them as actually trusting and believing myself. That doesn't mean being stupid or not having discernment or I had a dream that said jump off a cliff, let me jump off a cliff. It's not about that. It's about why not me? And why not me now? It's about this is a this is I have this one chance. I was given this character. He's weird. I think he's kind of funny though. I love him a lot. Let me play him. Let me play him to the full extent. And let me notice when I unconsciously and subconsciously outsource my will to other people and the stories that they have set up about what it means to be here. It's, it's, it's that same slowing down with the intuition. It's the exact same thing. You know, it's the, okay, pause. That pencil just stood out to me. Pause. Let me trust my intuition. It's the exact same skill of what if I went and did this and recognizing a part of me just left, ran to mom, said, can I do that thing? And mom said, no, you can't do anything. And then it came back to me. and was like, Kai, shut it down. You can't do it. And then next thing I know, without realizing that that transaction even took place, I'm already saying I could never do that. Yes. So I'm curious. This makes me wonder with your relationship with journeying, like I love the images that you use when you talk, like it's a very, um, you speak imagistically and have you always been this way or did this happen or intensify from shamanic journeying? And cause those are very visual events, right? Like you get images or. Well, I'm pretty gay and, um, I think, I think that contributes a little bit to it. Um, well, I, I'm also a theater kid, you know, and, and yeah, uh, wow. During this conversation, I'm realizing it's all about slowing down. Yeah. Uh, through journey and trance work as well. Um, it's, it's, it's all slowing down and recognizing that those flashes across your mind, the intentional ones and the unintentional ones might mean something. Um, and, and I think that like, especially when it comes to trance, trance is a learning how to engage trance well is a great skill toward like growing the fuck up because, um, the new age self-help mainstream world tries to tell us that the universe is like kind of coddling us. Like she's just this like slightly harsh mom during Mercury retrograde. And besides that, she just wants you in her bosom. And the truth is that like 
you know, the helping spirits are actually like treating you like an adult or they're trying to very often. And that means, yeah, I sent you this image. It's your job to have a conversation with me, know what that image means, and then take the action. We work together. Um, so yeah, I guess part of my imagistic language comes from being regularly, thoroughly engaged with trying to decipher symbols from the spirit world and being gay. I love it. <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it just makes me think about growing up in a reality that didn't really validate other realms and that if I talked about the images that came through my mind, it was almost like, oh, that's cute or interesting or how fantastical, but it wasn't actually necessarily seen as some kind of prophetic image. And it was really healing to start to think of it as such um, and to hear other people talk about it as a real thing and to feel empowered in myself to share those things or be like, oh, I have an image coming through and share it. Um, so I just, as we've been talking and you're bringing forth all these images, I'm like, oh yes, like I love that. And I love, um, you know, that as a form of communication because it's, there's other things floating through our experience all the time. And if we're paying attention to them, slowing down, as you say, and then putting voice to them, it's like a way of building a bridge to these other realities that are trying to speak to us. And what you're saying about the universe not coddling us and that these images coming through are, is like a, you know, what's the relational figure here? It's almost, is it more equal in a sense? Like I'm, I was just picturing like partners or something being like, here, I'm giving you this image. What do you think about it? Um, yeah, I think so. I think that this is a partnership, and I think that this is uh, equivalent. Um, one of my old teachers would say, um, working with one's helping spirits is about uh, two men walking down the road side by side. Now, obviously, there are so many different kinds of relationships that one might have with the spirit world. I have helping spirits of mine who and, and gods and goddesses who... Uh, they're perhaps a bit more wifey and husband or, you know, much more motherly or more sister. All of these kinds of relationships exist, but um, I have agency and because I have allowed the door to be open to them based on their knocking and my discernment that, yes, it served me to walk with them, they have some agency and we can engage, uh, but it's a two-way street. Um I actually, I want to ask you what um, helping spirits are a little bit more specifically and how people who, you know, let's say someone listening doesn't know they're helping spirits or can't really identify any, like, how do you start to make contact? Sure. So helping spirits is a term that I adopted from one of my teachers to indicate not so much, so backtrack, Coming from a more folk magic perspective, uh, the way I was taught about spirits were there were ancestors of yours, and if you got to interact with them, that would be very interesting and kind of cool and perhaps very helpful. And then there were all kinds of other spirits and saints and gods. And, you know, if you want to do a spell, you can do a, you know, a folk magic spell on your own, but you can also throw that puppy in front of a spirit, a saint, a god, you know, a land spirit, a little bit less so, but you know, can happen. And I really liked the helping spirit um, distinction that I ended up adopting from one of my shamanic teachers, because it was me being able to say, these are my spirits. 
there's tons of spirits, and some of my spirits are saints, and uh, some of spirits I might wave hello to while I'm on the bus, or they might pop into my life for a short period of time, but I wouldn't necessarily call them my helping spirits. When When I'm using the term helping spirits, I'm talking about my inner court of spirits. And that inner, and I don't mean the term court in regards to a specific tradition, because for instance, if you were to go to um, a, an espiritista in the spiritualist tradition or espiritismo, they're going to say, here is your court. And these were the uh, spirits, often uh, spirits of the dead related to you or not, um, that are around you. And when I say court, I'm speaking a bit more broadly. When I'm speaking of helping spirits, I'm talking about for myself, my animal helping spirits, my ancestral helping spirits, my saints and deities who are particularly in my inner court. And one can begin to find out who one's helping spirits are um, by engaging trance. Um, you, I think most people n- know at least one of them um, and the, I think like the, the most difficult part is, is that first step, because once you know one of them and you're like, oh, I've got this one helping spirits, then that one is great for vouching the other ones and for getting referrals on the other ones. So if you stop thinking like my favorite flower is daffodil, that's great. Have you ever thought, oh shit, maybe one of my helping spirits is daffodil. Maybe Daffodil has some referrals from you. Maybe if I go to Daffodil and I, you know, sit in front of Daffodil and ask, what what do you suggest in regards to where I am right now? Oh, okay, here's this uncle from my mom's side who passed away in the early 20s and he's healthy. And oh, okay, he's the helping spirit for me right now for me to really engage with because he has this other medicine. Um, that's, I think, a very healthy way of expanding one's experience of one's court. That's really cool. It's, um, I feel again too, it it works that ability to trust the images and associations that come up um, when we ask questions and the trust of how we're going to receive answers because we are in a culture that certain forms of information are validated as real more than others. And absolutely. Subjective epistemologies and folk epistemologies and indigenous epistemologies. Almost nothing makes me more angry than when an article comes out and it happens all the time and says, uh, science proves the aboriginals were right when they said that this thing happened a few times. Of course they were right. Why would these people be lying to you? Oral history is absolutely a legitimate epistemology and legitimate uh, transmission of knowledge. We love not believing each other, and we love not believing ourselves. Just believe the state. It's fun. Yeah, I feel that it's it's a paradigm shift for sure. And um, I really wanted to know, too, that you have this very interesting education background where you have, you know, you've been studying shamanic studies with I'm either self-study or with teachers, but then also you have an MA in performance studies and a BA in ritual anthropology and queer studies. Is that right? And so how do you feel like those types of study interact and inform each other? 
I wish I could tell you. Um, I, I, um, when I was, when I was in my bachelor's program, I was looking at the connection between theater and ritual and how theater could be used to how sort of a theatrical mindset could be used to enhance the transformative power of ritual as well as vice versa, uh, how ritualistic settings or ideas could be used to enhance the transformative power of theater. And that sort of culminated in a play that I wrote uh, looking at a very specific ritual, uh, that was the um, the ghost dance. Uh, the ghost dance being a pan-American Indian sort of apocalyptic ritual in the 1890s to that was heavily trance-based, heavily prophecy-based, and was about ridding the earth of the colonizing harm that was happening and about a, a great return of all that had been stolen from these peoples over the past couple centuries. Um, and because, and for the queer part, I was particularly interested in the sort of cross-cultural conversation between indigenous gender roles and contemporary ideas of being gay or lesbian or trans or drag queen. Um, and this was a play in which I juxtaposed a character, uh, a Lakota Winte or third gender person, uh, alongside a Caucasian Anglo-Saxon who just so happened to be, uh, a gay ventriloquist. Um, so kind of playing a bit with like, uh, his anima being on his, you know, being embodied in this puppet, um, and you know, throughout the play, uh, the ghost dance is happening, and these two individuals are interacting on or near Pine Ridge Reservation in South Dakota. So, um, in my master's, looking at performance studies, which is kind of a secular animism, looking at the performativity of objects, even on us, all of my work, I guess, has to do with, in a way, time and space. And um, the stories we tell ourselves about time and space that are actually pretty, pretty shoddy. Uh, and a lot more bridges need to be made so that we can actually contextualize ourselves now. Uh, I think that that's probably how this all works <laughs> works together. Sorry, it's kind of, kind of obtuse. No, I, I really like it. I think that the, uh, <laughs> I mean, performance is a ritual and definitely, I mean, even the, I mean, ritual and performance just have a very a similar energy to them. They do. And I was, I was very frustrated in, in college because everyone was kind of always telling me, well, there's tons that's been written about the shaman as performer, shaman to superstar, um, rock stars, all, all of our rock stars were all shamans. And it was just, it was really irritating um, it's even more irritating now, but it's very irritating because I did not want to engage in anything that was placebo 
you know, and, and, and frankly, that's what Western anthropologists love. This medicine man is just a con artist who is, you know, just pulling strings out of people's noses that he had up his sleeve. Uh, and people are being healed. Yes, absolutely. There's power in the placebo, but I, I worked really hard to just like stay away from that because that wasn't interesting to me I, at, at all. I kept saying, I want to find the real thing. I want to find the real thing. And when I ended up um, kind of going through my initiatory crisis, uh, and that, I mean, even before that, as, as a folk magician, that was, to me, the real thing. And then when I went through my initiatory crisis, that was a sort of different layer of the real thing. Um, but the funny part has been the whole time, my own spirits are constantly yelling at me about the performative aspects of my work and the necessity to to choose that more. And I can say that I feel more comfortable now knowing that whatever I do in that realm won't be placebo. It won't be a string up my sleeve. And if it is, I know that that string is already magical because I'm me and because I got the juice. I appreciate that. I feel that placebo argument is just so annoying and it comes in with astrology too, where it's like astrology is not real, but it makes you feel good and gives you context to think about yourself. And it's like, well, actually it could be real. And it's just interesting that desire to explain away magic that's so prevalent. And it is rebellious to go against that explaining away of magic. Um, And I have never heard before that rock stars were all shamans. That's very interesting. But I've wondered about um, the kind of magical aura that performers tend to have. And it even seems, too, that like a lot of artists have to find their way through the kind of edge of madness, where I think that when people are creating art, that they're getting in touch with other realities and that if they don't have a way of... um, having psychic hygiene around that, or they don't know what they're going through, it can feel like they're going insane. You know what I mean? A hundred percent. And this is why I get very frustrated when I come across articles by Westerners that say that all artists are, are just shamans or, um, or that they're the closest thing that we have to a shaman. This is just a lie. I know excellent medicine people, shamans, not shamans in the West. Please do not, Please don't ignore that. Please, I, I, especially when it comes to psychic hygiene. You know, like sure, there are transformative artists in our world. There are transformative artists in every culture, um, but there are also people who are able to discern and diagnose and prescribe. And these are hugely important. That's um, hugely important roles, and it makes me angry to see those roles be erased because the Western world simply can't even imagine, like, didn't we wipe you out? You're not supposed to exist anymore. Um, and, you know, um, when it comes to that line between madness and art, you know, we have that figure of at least one that's become really important to me, uh, less so in a devotional way, but more in a too close for comfort, too close to deny way uh, of Dionysus. Um, we have so much control issues in our culture. Um, and the, the very act of making art is, as you said, you know, it's this flow. It's this channeling and letting someone, something through, um, mediating our relationship 
as individuals and as a culture with the wild uh, is a really important conversation for us to have. And we probably don't want to have it because we'd probably rather just maintain control. <laughs> so, but then we end up with, you know, then we end up in a, in a holiday inn with, you know, a male prostitute and it fucks up our Republican campaign. You know what I'm saying? Like that's, this is what happens. What a dilemma. <laughs> what a dilemma. Yeah. Yeah. It's like if we, if it's suppressed, it's going to come out distorted in some way. So. Yeah. So what, um, in this time in your life, are you currently excited about or really fascinated with? Sure. So um, I recently had the experience where a number of uh, aesthetics and uh, ideas related to kind of just, dis- you know, control and disruption, certain movements in our world that have been, uh, have, that have recognized, even if there wasn't necessarily a, an overt spiritual contour or context to it we're recognizing that, wait, I think I'm in a machine that's trying to eat me. Maybe if I slow down, I'll be less of a cog in the machine. Those sort of movements and aesthetics uh, always had some pull for me, but I think that all of that, having my flame um, pinched out by family members early on in my life led to me engaging at the bare minimum with those aesthetics and those spaces and movements, but never really feeling them bone deep. Um, And very recently, I think as the outcome of some of my own process, I finally found myself able to do some direct action work, uh, move in a more fulfilling, direct, overt direction in regards to some of the performance artwork that I've done. um, And some of these getting a little bit more political in my in my life and in my work uh that's been really refreshing and i'm going to be seeing where that's going to be taking me that's awesome so what do you think is the importance of building a connection to the spirit world and starting to trust our intuition and our experiences of these other realms um i think the importance of that is that we always exist in context uh, if we want to understand ourselves, we understand ourselves relationality, through relationality. Uh, we understand ourselves because we went on a trip and then we came back with that new knowledge of ourselves. Everything is relational here. And when we were, just like we were talking about helping spirits, my, some of my closest helping spirits are strong reflections of who I am. And parts of myself that I need to be cultivating relationship with. This is not to say that they're just that. This is not to put them solely in a psychological context, but that my relationship with XYZ Norse goddess is also um, relational. I'm personally, because I'm a polytheist, I'm engaging with that spirit as a person, but I also know that there are certain aspects of myself and my life that that relationship is bolstering and bringing into view and helping me to understand and helping to clarify, uh, that's invaluable. And if we look at that in relation to the fact that um, some of our biggest spiritual or religious traditions in our world are actually entirely against 
you having any context in this world at all. Don't look at the stars. Don't look at any animals. You better not look at the ground. The dead don't exist. That seems a little um, purposeful. It seems a little shady, a little purposeful. What would something get out of you not having any connection to the past, the present, the future, the above, the below, your next door neighbor? Seems like you might be extra available for some exploitation, frankly. Yeah, that's deep. It's, um, I mean, people's power... If we're not in touch with our own power, we've projected it onto things, or we don't even know that we've projected it, then we're just not accessing that power. Absolutely. So how can people find and work with you? And what kinds of, I mean, I guess you mentioned it, but in case there's any other um, aspects of your work that you do with clients that you want to share, I'd love to hear about it. Sure. So my website is impactshamanism.com. And you can also find me on Twitter and on uh, Instagram under Chiron Armand. Uh, I love working with people who feel like they've received a vision, uh, who feel like they are here to do something and might not know what it is, um, who want to make more sense of their own relationship to the divinatory arts and trance work. Um, want to explore the idea of initiation in their lives, uh, becoming more of the person that they've come here to be. I love working with ancestral healing, uh, looking at the ways in which our ancestors have affected us, as well as other helping spirits. Um, if someone wants to know some of the spirits that are around them, calling out for their attention, what medicine they bring into their lives, it's one of my favorite things to do. And I also do love uh, folk magic. Um, helping people get a job, get that lover, win that court case. All of that is fun, exciting stuff to me too. That's really cool. Well, um, what's your, Oh, sorry. You did say your contact info, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, my website is impactshamanism.com and I can be reached at info at impactshamanism.com. Cool. Thank you so much for coming onto the show and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening. I would love to know what you thought about this episode or what it made you think about. You can take a screenshot of this episode and tag us on Instagram on your story. You can tag me at Sabrina Monarch and you can tag Chiron at Chiron Armand. And if you've been listening to this show for a little while, I would love to read your review on iTunes. If you take a picture of your review before you click submit and email it to me at Sabrina at monarchastrology.com. I'll take a note of your email. And when I have a special gift to give to reviewers, I will make sure that you get it too. All right, everyone, have a beautiful, blessed day. Mm-hmm.